Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Bearded Things. I'm one of your bearded hosts. My name is Chris, and I'm here with my buddy Tyler. Tyler, how you doing? I am doing okay. Uh, I'm fighting off something. I don't know what it is, uh, but I have a fever hovering just below 103, so I'm peachy. Uh, you know what they say about having fevers, and there's like one really good treatment for it. I heard it's a prescription for my cowbell. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading an interview with Will Ferrell and he was saying uh, he felt really bad because he forever ruined Christopher Walken's <laughs> life with more cowbell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a great, I remember watching that scene like over and over again, just watching everybody break. Like, it's so, it's, it's ridiculous. So it's, I love it. It's probably like SNL has been around for like 40 years, I think. So Yeah, I think just, just over 40 years. Yeah. It's probably the most like infamous sketch of all time. Oh yeah. No, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, the Blue Extra Cult link. It's the cowbell scene. I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, before we get into our topics on everything, I do owe uh, our dear listener, Gabby, an apology. Uh, she wanted the Oakland, the Los Angeles Oakland Raiders of Las Vegas to take out Tom Brady, and that didn't happen today. Yeah, you guys kind of failed. Um, my condolences to your Raider team for getting, I think, they, I think it was like 45 to 20. That sounds about right. But yeah, stupid Tom Brady and his stupid pretty face destroyed you guys. His dimpled chin and his supermodel wife and fat paychecks. <laughs> Jerk. But on the plus side, the 49ers destroyed the Patriots, so that's good. Well, it's like not even the Patriots anymore because everybody left. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I'll take it. We're four and three now, I think. So we're back on above 500. So I'm happy after destroying said Gabby's LA Rams. Um, but yeah, things are things are looking up in the football world. Um my condolence also to Dodger fans who are listening to this. We record on Sunday, so they're still playing right now, but the game Saturday night ended in probably one of the most spectacularly poor, like bad fashion I've seen, like personally, like live. I've never watched a game in that way. Um, not live, I wasn't there, but like on TV. That was pretty insane how the ball just kind of kicked around everywhere and the Rays won in crazy fashion on Saturday. Yeah, that was a really... <laughs> that was a bizarre loss. And then the Dodgers were up for most of the game. Yeah, exactly. It was just that, that last tail end bit. And I know Jansen's been struggling as the closer. So I don't know. I don't think they have Jansen in right now. I'm not watching it because we're recording. But uh, I think last time I saw, they weren't going to put Jansen in for the ninth um, tonight. So that'll be interesting. Saving him. plays up. Yeah. Hoping he doesn't choke the game away again. Yeah. Yeah, but hey, Kershaw looked good tonight. He had one bad inning, and then he, you know, he struggled through that, and he recovered. So that was that was good. Yeah, it looks like I don't want to jinx it because the game is still going on uh, at the time of recording. So mm. uh, I, it looks like they they got it, but I don't want to say that. I don't want to put that out there. No, yeah, I hope if they win tonight, I think Walker Buehler is going to pitch Tuesday. So those of you that are listening to this on Tuesday, Walker Buehler should be pitching tonight, and if he pitches, he's probably one of the best postseason pitchers in the game right now i feel like he's gonna do a really good job although he is going against blake snell who i'm assuming he's gonna pitch against blake snell who won game two so it'll be interesting we'll see what happens so what are you going to be covering tonight well seeing as this is our last episode of our october spooktacular extravaganza i'm wait, going wait, to wait. Cover what was oh that? yeah sorry our october spooktacular extravaganza i'm going to be covering the history of halloween Excellent. Very topical. Uh, I'm also in the spirit of our uh, spooktacular October extravaganza type thing. <laughs> I want to use it too. Uh, I will be covering seances. 
Ooh, nice. And there's a lot to unpack there. So I did my best. Uh, and you'll see. We'll get to it. Are we going to conjure loved ones tonight? Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> and I will say, if you are streaming on a site that lets you do like ratings and, and all that kind of jazz, we would really love it if you can give us a five star rating. Maybe give us a little shout out. We really, really love that stuff. We're a small mom and pop pod. So all those little things really go a long way. Yes, please, please, please do. And maybe if you give us enough five stars, we'll explain who's the mom, who's the pop in this relationship. Hey, oh, I'd like to think it changes at times. <laughs> Depends on the mood. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think that's all the business to, to get out of the way. Yeah, I don't think we have anything else. We, didn't, we haven't gotten any hate mail in a while. So yay us. So uh, are we just going to get into it? Let's get into it. Um, I believe I went first last week. So you, sir, are up. Yay. Okay. So for today's topic, as I promised in prior episodes, uh, we talked about, you know, when we did our banter with the beers, these, our history of Halloween or Halloween traditions, I said I wanted to cover the history of Halloween. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cover Halloween, how it's celebrated, why we celebrate it. And I'm going to go from the, um, the history of Samhain and All Hallows Eve. And so my bearded friends put on your witch's hat, grab a cup of spiced cider and let's sit back and have a listen. So, contrary to popular belief, Halloween is not the time when the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. I don't care what shitty Disney movies you swear that is the greatest Halloween movie ever. I don't care what it tells you. It's not true. And yes, you heard me. I'm coming for you, Sanderson sisters, and I'm calling out your stupid movie, Hocus Pocus. Dang. Um, full disclosure, <laughs> I am not a fan of Hocus Pocus or Halloween Town or any of those feel-good Disney Halloween movies. Um, I prefer... Like Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride, Coraline, those, I like those as my feel-good Halloween movies. Um, and speaking of feel-good Halloween movies, hey, Chris, do you know why the boy and girl ghost couldn't get pregnant? Oh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> because the, bo the boy ghost had a Halloweenie. Continuing on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that being said, please remember all hate mail can be addressed to Chris at beardedthings.com. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay. <laughs> so now that we have, you know, established where I stand on Halloween movies, let's get into the real reason for Halloween. We all know it's Jack Skellington's birthday. Just kidding. Kind of. Well, I was like, uh, there's a whole fan theory about how Jack Skellington is actually the headless horseman from, uh, what's the one where he throws Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. No, it makes sense. I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the story of Halloween dates back thousands of years ago to ancient Celtic traditions and one specifically called Samhain. Now, Samhain is a Gaelic word and it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N and is often mispronounced by many people as Samhain. This is because many early Christians believe Samhain, or sorry, GC, I can't even say it. <laughs> many early Christians believe Samhain was a pagan ritual to honor a Celtic god supposedly named Samhain and who was the god of death and the god of the underworld. So they, you know, they want you to think of kind of the devil if he wore green instead of Prada. The problem with this is that there is no Celtic god named Samhain. The Celtic god for the underworld is actually named Aran. So now that we know how to pronounce Samhain, what is it? Well, Samhain was the festival to end the year as the Celtic New Year began on November 1st. They saw this as the end of the summer and their time to really harvest their crops, get everything ready to go and prepare. And it's because it also marked the beginning 
of the cold, dark winter. And in this time in our history, it usually meant a lot of people were going to die, especially in the areas where these people were, which is what is now called Ireland and a lot of like Northern Europe. The ancient Celtic Druids, which is a holy person and not the World of Warcraft class, uh, they felt that the time that this time was when the lines between the living and the dead were blurred and it allowed for spirits of the dead to pass through their world into the living and destroy their crops. Now I know what you're thinking. Tyler, you sexy co-host, you you just told us that Halloween wasn't a time when the veil was thinned. Now you're saying it is. WTF, mate. Well, my dear listeners, I want to let you know that the thinning of the barrier between the living and the dead is thought to happen during any sort of transition, especially seasonal transitions. And the ancient Celts, they had similar festivals between their winter and spring months when the crops began to return. Side note, there's also a very fascinating psychological study related to like seasonal affective disorder and seasonal and emotional transitions that we go to now in like modern, you know, 21st century times that actually allows mediums and psychics kind of, it, it enhances their greater, like it makes their powers a little bit easier and they, they're able to see and hear things easier, but I'm going to save that for another episode. So these druids and other leaders decided that they needed to hold a festival to honor all these spirits. They believe that while the spirits did come into our world to damage crops and generally wreak havoc, they also allow the druids to commune with the dead and make predictions about our future. These predictions gave the people of the time some sort of comfort and kind of gave them something to look forward to during the long, cold, dark winters. During these celebrations, the Celtic people would snuff out their fires at home and erect massive, massive bonfires in the village square. There, the people would gather to burn old crops and sacrifice animals to their gods in an effort to honor the dead and also hopefully survive the winter. During this period of sacrifice, the Celts would put on what we would now call costumes, but back then they were essentially just, they were wearing the heads and the skins of slain animals, and the Druids would then commune with the dead and tell the future. That's metal as F. <laughs> right? It's like, I'm going to destroy these animals and wear their skin. <laughs> so after the ceremony was over, the people would take logs or they would find a mean to carry the fire and take the fire of the sacred bonfire to their hearths, and they would take them to their home and they would relight their fires. They believe that this would now give them protection and the warmth of the gods. This continued for thousands of years until around 43 CE, when the Roman Empire did what Romans do and they conquered all the living world, or all the known world, basically. Uh, they conquered most of the Celtic lands, and during the next 400 years, the Romans would combine two Roman celebrations with Samhain. And they would kind of stick around and they would kind of start to shape what we see as Halloween. The first one of these days was called Ferelia, which is the day where Romans would honor their dead. And the second was a day that they used to honor the goddess Pomona. Pomona, not like the city in Los Angeles, <laughs> was the goddess of fruit and trees, and her symbol was an apple. And worshippers worshippers would try to pick an apple out of a bucket of water to gain Pomona's favor. Now on May 13th, 609 CE, Pope Boniface IV adapted part of Feralia to dedicate the Pantheon in Rome to honor all Christian martyrs. All you Catholics out there, you'll recognize this as the Feast of All Martyrs. When Pope Gregory III took over, he added all the saints that have died, and he added that to this festival. He wanted them to be honored, and he moved the festival to November 1st. This became known as the Middle English word, Alhalomis, which meant Feast of the Saints. This was then shorted to Alhalomas, and finally, to All Hallows. Today, we know it is All Saints Day. 
We'll come back to this in just a minute. A couple hundred years later, as Christianity spread through the Celtic lands, the old rituals were being supplanted as the Celtic traditions were being blended with a lot of like the Christian celebrations. In the year 1000, the church named November 2nd to be All Souls Day and proclaimed it to be a day where the dead would be honored. All Souls Day was celebrated really similar to Samhain. Large bonfires were erected, people were dressed up in costumes and prayed around towns. Many historians and scholars believe this was a way for the church to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a more official church sanctioned holiday. So they're kind of like, hey, you're going to do your thing. We're going to rename it. We're going to say it's okay by the church. So these two holidays became very important to the Celtic people as well as most of Europe. So many wanted to celebrate more. Since the traditional Celtic festival of Samhain was on October 31st, Many Celts wanted to honor that and combine it with the celebration of All Saints Days, so they began to celebrate the night before All Hallows. This became known as All Hallows Eve, and eventually what we know as Halloween. Yay! We know the history of Halloween in Europe. But how, <laughs> but how did it make it over here to America, where we can do what we do best and exploit it? Let me tell you. So, like many, if not all, of the great things we have in this country, we have one very special group to thank for that immigrants pause for cheering okay if you haven't thrown your device out the window i want to explain how <laughs> how immigrants brought my favorite commercial holiday to america so in the late 1700s early 1800s halloween was a very very limited celebration it was limited in scope limited in capacity many colonists after all they still believe that halloween was a pagan holiday it was celebrated by witches and the occult the Salem witch trials were still a recent history to some people, and I'm sure the stories were passed down to their children. Without getting too deep into U.S. American history in the colony time, basically you think about the original colonies were split in terms of ideology and who was running parts of the colonies. Um, the northern colonies were very religious, kind of if you think like the Quakers, those type of people. But in the southern colonies, the religious aspects and standards were a lot more lax. Because of this, as more immigrants came over from Europe or they came up from the Caribbean around this time, those traditions came with them. The traditional Halloween festivals melded with Car Caribbean traditions, easy for me to say, to honor loved ones and even combined with some of the Native American people who had already occupied the land. And the first of these became known as something called a play party. And they were designed to celebrate the harvest. People would come out of their homes, they would share stories of their dead loved ones, as well as teach each other's fortunes, dance, sing, and eat the night away. Thanks to the many influence of different ethnic groups, a new tradition began to pop up in these harvest festivals. They began to tell ghost stories, and they kind of started messing around more. There was an air of general mischief making. Now, these aren't like typical, like egging or teeping of houses that, you know, when people give you dental floss for Halloween, you go back and you egg their house. It's not what we were talking about. Um, these little pranksters were super evil. So if you, you know, didn't give out, you know, like your, your house wasn't done enough properly, they would go, they would tip over the outhouses when no one was in it. <laughs> or the most diabolical thing I could find, they would open the gates of their farmer's houses. Oh, that's, that's cold. Just craziness, right? Evil. <laughs> so in all seriousness, um, things are around this time, they're starting to seem a little bit more like Halloween, right? So by the mid to late 1800s, America began to see a greater influx of Im immigrants, especially those coming from Ireland because they had their great potato famine that was going around around this time. 
with those immigrants came their traditions of Halloween, and a lot of them still carried over the traditions of Samhain. Now, many of the people still celebrating Halloween were still kind of poor because they were immigrants. They're coming to this country with pretty much nothing. And so they would dress up and they would go to their neighbor's houses and they started asking for food or money. Essentially, this is what we know as trick-or-treating nowadays. This was the very beginnings of it. Also around this time, young women believed that they could tell their future and they would read each other's fortunes by spinning yard or yarn or peeling apples and throwing the apple peels over their shoulder and then turning and trying to read to see if they, they formed an initial. And those initials would be the person they're going to marry before the next Halloween. Eventually, by the late 1800s, as the holiday spread, more Americans wanted to distance themselves from the ghosts and pranks and general witchcrafty tones of the holiday and make it more of a day of togetherness and community. The most popular way to celebrate Halloween was to have a party where the focus was on family-friendly games, festive food, and costumes, and not necessarily telling the future or sacrificing or any of that stuff that seemed too scary or too dangerous. By the turn of the century, Halloween had lost almost all of its superstitious and religious undertones. In the 1920s and 30s, towns would hold huge town parties where the whole town would come celebrate, but leaders began to notice that there was an uptick in vandalism by teenage kids. Again, teenagers ruin everything. Just kidding, we love you teenage listeners. Harkening back to colonial times, a popular vandalism was for kids to steal the gates of farmers in the area, but now that the farms were more closely related you know there's more farms in the area it actually started the livestock started getting out and it would cause stampede so it actually caused a lot of damage that's kind of hilarious yeah <laughs> there's another report of a protestant minister in ohio who reported waking up on halloween to beer signs all over his front door and a pyramid of beer bottles on his porch which i just have to say anytime you drink a lot of cans or bottles i think stacking them in a, a giant pyramid is just like a rite of passage everyone has to do that you gotta do it once yeah and as the holiday began to grow in popularity, so did the pranks. Uh, there's another report from Tucson, Arizona, where kids were running around with a wire and they were tripping pedestrians on the street. But on one, one occasion, the pranky got up, he drew a revolver, a revolver and shot one of the kids dead. Another woman in Indiana reportedly was scared to death when a couple boys thrust a jack-o'-lantern in her face, causing her to become scared and have a heart attack. Because of the rise in pranking, many, si many cities and towns began to shift the focus of the celebration into the homes instead of large public gatherings. This also kind of coincidentally coincided with the baby boom of the 1950s. So there's just a ton more kids running around in general. So they're like, you know what, let's just keep it in the house. Stay away from the big towns. We don't want your screaming kids everywhere. This resulted in families going door to door to ask for treats. One way for homeowners to avoid being tricked was to hand out sweet treats thus beginning what we know and love as trick-or-treating in its kind of modern form. As the country got more and more populated, the holiday began to, be, to get more and more popular, and people began looking into the history of Halloween and listening to the stories of their grandparents and their great-grandparents. They would hear the stories of the Celts on Samhain, Samhain, leaving carved and lit turnips and potatoes for their loved ones to find a lighted path to their home and adapted that into lighting gourds in America. Another story is that of the black cat. Back in the Middle Ages, the story was passed down that they believed that witches would turn into black cats to avoid being found. The story was brought to America by ancestors and the fear of black cats popped up in America. Kids also started to hear the telling of ancient ghost stories and they began to adapt these stories to their new world and the telling of ghost stories brought back the scariness of Halloween. Then in the late 60s and beyond, 
the telling of scary stories made it to this crazy new invention called television and the form of movies and they came out and the tradition of telling scary stories grew so that entire countries could participate so it brought the scariness back to halloween lastly i want to tell you what is thought to be the origin of the well-known and beloved jack-o-lantern according to irish myth there was a man named stingy jack who invited the devil to have a drink with him because why not well when the devil arrived jack didn't want to use his own money hence the name stingy jack so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin Instead of using the coin, Jack placed the coin in his pocket next to a silver cross, which prevented the devil from turning back into his natural form. Jack eventually let him out after striking a deal with the devil, saying he could not return for one year, and should Jack die prior to their meeting, the devil could not claim his soul. So a year passes and the devil returns, but Jack again tricks the devil somehow by asking him to climb a tree and get some fruit. While in the tree, Jack carves the sign of the cross into the tree, so the devil could not come down. After making yet another deal with the devil, this time to not return for 10 years, and again with the caveat that should Jack die prior to the meeting, the devil can't take his soul. Jack removed the sign of the cross and the devil leaves. Shortly after this, however, Jack dies. When he gets to heaven, God tells him that there's no place for a trickster, trickster like him, and he sends him to hell. However, when he gets to hell, the devil's like, nah, man, I'm a man of my word, and I cannot claim your soul. So you can't come to hell, so you can't come in. The devil sends Jack into the darkness of pure night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack places the burning coal into a turnip that he hollowed out and has been walking the earth ever since. The Irish went on to call this roaming spirit Jack of the Lantern, or shortened to Jack-o'-Lantern. In Ireland, people then begin making their own versions of the lit turnip by carving scary faces into the turnip or potatoes in an effort to ward off Jack of the Lantern and other evil spirits. When Irish immigrants arrived in America, they brought the story of Jack of the Lantern, and they found this perfect vessel for lighting, which was the pumpkin. And jack-o'-lanterns were born in America. And that, my bearded friends, is the story of Halloween. I just want to jump in. I, I'm just picturing the devil making the deal with uh, Jack, Stingy Jack. Yeah. And then he gets stuck up in a tree. And he's, he's just like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. Let me down. Don't be a jerk. Not cool. <laughs> yeah, I hope that was a good rendition of the history. There's a lot more that goes into like the different like I don't want to get too deep into the traditions of like Samhain, like the they would do certain like spells and incantations around the bonfire, but it would have taken me a really long time to finish everything. So yeah, it's a really Fred. dense subject that goes back like literally thousands of years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. Yeah, man. It, awesome. That was that's a lot of fun. <laughs> and it's I feel like if it wasn't for all those people, you wouldn't have this wonderful podcast to listen to because we probably wouldn't got into the spooky, you know, crazy stuff that come, kind of comes with Halloween. Wow. I just got kind of meta. Like we are here because a long line of storytellers told stories that were creepy, that were passed on through generations that got to us eventually at some point. Mm -hmm. And then it changed our lives to be like inspired by those creepy stories to then find those creepy stories told by the ancestors via technology to all of you. Exactly. It's come full circle, man. It happened, man. It was wild. So if we get to a thousand downloads, we're going to put on animal costumes and dance around a fire for you. I don't need a thousand downloads so that I will go do that right now. <laughs> yeah, just go to our OnlyFans. There'll be content there. <laughs> yeah, the, the origins of Halloween were super metal, and uh, I think that's kind of cool. 
Yeah, I agree. It's like a giant Black Sabbath album from like start right. to finish. That's all it is. Yeah, it's just an album. That's that's all I was doing. I was just reading you notes from the Black Sabbath album. <laughs> <laughs> and now, before we get into banter with the Beardsleys and your topic, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, and we're back. Thank you so much for sticking around with us and not throwing your devices out the window. Um, now we are going to transition into banter with the Beardsleys. I still love that. I know it's great. <laughs> Never going to get over it. <laughs> okay. So banter with the Beersleys, as most of you hopefully already know, but if this is your first time joining us, uh, banter with the Beersleys is our kind of fun, unscripted chat, a little bit of banter, you would say, between Chris and I, and we are your Beersleys. It's part of our family group. Um, and we read questions that are submitted by the listener, which is you. Um, and they're submitted. We throw them in a hat. We pick one out at random and we talk about it on the air. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be like a spooky question. It can be a funny, a silly question, something you're curious about. Uh, you want our favorite food recipe, our beer tips, any of that stuff. Um, just send a message. Let us know. Yeah, we will definitely talk about it. And I believe this week we have one from, uh, from one of you guys. Yeah. It comes from our friend mouse. Hello mouse. It and he's a local friend of ours. We we grew up with him. Uh, his real name's not Mouse. His real name is Michael. But, What's funny um, is I didn't know that until like high school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone just thought his parents hated him. The name was Mouse. <laughs> no, that's not true. But um, yeah, he went by Mouse since like the third grade. So everyone, like he's been Mouse like his entire life, which is actually kind of cool that you have a nickname that transcends time and space like that. Yeah. So our friend Mouse says... Do you guys think there is an organization that is hiding or killing off, quote, people with extraordinary powers, such as the movie Glass or something like the Unbreakable movie trilogy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Short answer, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I kind of I kind of do. But not let, let, let me rephrase that. So if. Uh, Paranormal entities, if, if superhumans do exist, I, I don't know that they do. I don't doubt that they do. I just don't mm -hmm. know that they do. So you're I, telling me Justice League wasn't a documentary? Um, Justice League, I think, is a hypothetical documentary. Oh, uh, okay. Not to be confused with the actual documentary of um, the Avengers. Oh, got it. I, so, I always get confused when I don't see the aliens flying around. I don't know which one's which. Yeah, it gets really, really weird. Um, but <laughs> if there are people with that, I, I mean, I really think there is to some degree like uh, Stan Lee did a, a series, I think on discovery or sci-fi called superhuman where he kind of went around and interviewed people who had weird bits of weird feats of strength or, or you know, we could mm -hmm. men with x-ray vision, things like that. And uh, if those people do exist, I would imagine that somebody, uh, some organization would go around to try and regulate that and document that kind of like, um, was it the, the first X-Men movie where Stryker was like trying to implement like the uh the mutant agenda? Yeah, the mutant yeah, the mutant registration act or whatever it was. Something like that. Like I think there would be some small government or world government, if you will, uh that would try and regulate that. Um and it's even if you want to go like uh kind of crazy, just slightly mm -hmm. crazy, but if you want to go somewhat biblical with it, you have the book of Enoch mm -hmm. and uh they mention the Nephilim, which are half bred human angel creatures mm -hmm. with all of and like they go on and list all of these abilities that they have it's even i think in the book of exodus i, I could be completely wrong 
but uh and because of those things that was part of the reason that uh god did the whole flood thing to like with the rid the world of it so even god was regulating that in biblical terms <laughs> um so it, yeah if god's doing it i can only imagine that there was probably some secret Mulder scully smoking man group that's monitoring it interesting yes um I thought you were going to mention the SCP Foundation at one point. I was going to talk about that. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of the SCP Foundation. <laughs> it's, just, it's all made up. It's like out yeah. in the open that it's kind of made up. Yeah, and I don't like, unless it's not made up and they're saying that it's made up. So if you don't know what the SCP Foundation is, um, to the best of my understanding, and Tyler, you can totally correct me because I kind of refuse to go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> uh. um, so it's an online, it's kind of like a Wikipedia page, right? And people put in, they write in these like creatures with all of these crazy superpowers. Mm -hmm. And uh, they talk about how they're like uh, in cell number, you know, 4X3Y in like unit J. And then they go through their, all their like attributes and abilities. And it just, to me, feels very um, role-playing game. Yeah. I mean, that kind of sums it up. It sounds like it's a bunch of algebra nerds that spit a like logarithm into their scientific calendar and then it, it spit out a bunch of these names but yeah essentially it's kind of a fun people do it as like a play just to like kind of like creepypastas where people make up scary stories it's like that but it's like a, a self-contained universe and it is kind of Dungeons and Dragon-y a lot of, lot of role-playing where like you know you're into this SCP foundation and the individual SCPs like they all have character tags and stuff but we won't get too deep into that but uh, <laughs> yeah you're right uh, as far as the question goes, um, I'm more inclined to say no, because... Because um, you want to be wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no, because unlike some people, I believe in science. <laughs> um, no, I think there is like the metahuman argument the metahuman theories where like there's human beings that are born and they're able to manifest certain powers like you know the the mom that lifts a car off of her baby and like can keep her strength for a certain amount of time as the adrenaline rips through her body um i see those you know like those are things that's like where people have these instances of powers and stuff like that that happens they're short-lived and i feel like there's some sort of scientific explanation behind it um and yeah, like you mentioned, like the Book of Enoch and like the the Nephilims and, you know, the different, the seraphs and the different categories, ranks of angels and how, whether or not they interbred with humans and blah, blah, blah. But um, without getting that down that theological rabbit hole, um, I, I don't know. And I feel like with our technology nowadays, if there were these like superhumans or these metahumans walking around with powers, we would find something by now and we wouldn't need, unless the organization's really, really good, which could also be possible. Um, but you talk about, like the documentary Marvel, like eventually that stuff got out. You know, the Avengers eventually revealed themselves to us. Um, and I just feel like that's something that with the technology we have and everyone being surveyed, surveillanced in the eyes everywhere everyone has a phone that if saw someone someone saw something they would throw it up on like facebook live or instagram live or snapchat or tiktok or some sort of social media someone would find it and see it well see like and, to, to to argue that it's kind of like in uh what was the the paranormal activity uh paranormal activity the marked ones that went to that took place in our hometown that took place in oxnard yes yeah. <laughs> even though only like half the movie was filmed in oxnard the rest of it was in east la 
uh, right actually uh, right okay. around the corner from the original Tommy Chili Burgers. Yeah. In fact. But um so in that movie there's the part where uh spoiler if you haven't seen it you need to go see it especially because it's Halloween time and it was actually I thought pretty well done. But um there's a part where he gets possessed and he records mm-hmm. himself falling and an invisible entity catching him and picking him back up and he does it like four or five times and then he puts it on YouTube. And then Mm. everybody on YouTube starts trashing him, saying these are like really crappy special effects. Mm. So if somebody was, you know, able to do that, right, like, you know, to kind of float or levitate slightly or whatever, and they put it online, be like, oh, that's kind of a cool effect. I'm I'm pretty sure there's wires or like I can't see your arms, Mm. so you're probably holding yourself up. So I think people would automatically debunk it, even if it was real. Like, how many times have we watched a YouTube video and then we're like, oh, that's stupid. Like, it's totally like, you know, after effects or whatever. <laughs> no, yeah, that makes sense. And I get, like, I think that is true. I think if there was proof of something like that, immediately the internet would be like, you're bullshit. Like, that's bullshit. But I feel like there would be, if it happened enough that, like, there would be more people like, no, 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 like, this really happened. Or, like, they'd be able to replicate it again, you know, like. Well, and then also, too, the United States government just admitted to, like, videotaping UFOs true and nobody cares <laughs> nobody cares at well, all yeah we're also in the middle of a world crushing pandemic and thousands of people are dying but i guess i mean see i feel like this would be the perfect time if that is true they could release that information and they could totally just like throw it out there like yeah we knew about it and it would get swept under the rug because everyone else was worried about dying um i feel like this would be the perfect time they should do it if you're listening or whichever FBI agent happens to be listening to our podcast right now. Because yeah, um, we are using technology. So they are listening. Yeah, yeah. Someone's listening. The NSA, somebody's listening to this right now, which, hi, I hope you're enjoying it. Um, <laughs> now's the time. Just release it. Go. It'll be like the perfect bombshell. It's the last October, you know, bombshell that you can throw out there before the election. Like, just see what happens. Just go for it. You can do this. I believe in you. Yeah, you know what? I actually support that. If uh, if you are a government official, if you are um, somebody with a slight superpower, put it out there. We'll we'll back you. Yeah, That'd totally. Come on our show. We'll talk about it. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, it'll be perfect. We'll do this. Yeah, let's do an exclusive. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> All right. And before we get too caught in the weeds, I think that <laughs> hoping that answered your question, Mouse. Yeah, I think that was as close to an answer as we can give. Is <laughs> kind of like sure, why not? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Right. So uh, now that uh, banter with the Beardsleys is uh, finished for this episode, I guess it is time for my segment. Yes, sir. You're up. Okay. So I'm doing seances. There's a lot to try and squeeze into the segment. So uh, for you seance nerds out there and paranormal junkies, there are things that I, I skipped or left out. Uh, it, there was just a lot to try and fit in. So uh, my apologies. And also I kind of went in a different direction, which you will see shortly, which might explain why I left some things out. <laughs> Did so, you get possessed while you were writing this? Uh, there is no Chris, only Zool. <laughs> oh, hey, how's Frank, by the way? <laughs> uh, much, much better. Uh, if you don't know, Frank is the dead man who lives inside of my jaw. Uh, I had uh, <laughs> oral surgery a month and a half ago or something like that, and they had to... Uh, fill the void with uh, bone fragments from a cadaver and uh, since it was a living person I named him Frank and uh, the first month was absolutely excruciating the worst pain I've ever had and now it's it feels pretty fine so nice so Frank's working out 
I was like, that's what Frank would want you to say. I know. I'm going in on, I, I forget when, in the next few weeks for an MRI to see how Frank officially took. And uh, I'll <laughs> let you know if there's a face in the image. Yeah. <laughs> there's going to be a little face staring back at you. <laughs> a little middle finger sticking out of my jaw. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, sorry. sorry. No worries. <clears throat> so I want to start with a couple of things. First, a disclaimer. This segment is going to be focused heavily on the spiritualist movement and other means of contacting the dead. If this subject makes you uncomfortable, please fast forward about 20 minutes or so. Second, if you are somewhere safe, like your home or your bedroom, I'll be doing an exercise with you that would have been common during the seance. You'll need a piece of paper and a pen or pencil. I'll let you know what to do in just a moment or two. Lastly, if you are sitting somewhere quiet, please pay attention to your surroundings. I've uh, consulted a few performers of seances, and they all said strange things tend to happen when you talk about this stuff outside of a controlled seance room. There may be a sudden temperature change, a movement in your peripheral vision, or perhaps your curtains or blinds might move slightly. If you really want to enhance the possibility, I've been told to turn out all of the lights and light a candle. There may be a sudden flicker, or perhaps the candle can turn off. That is constructions. <laughs> yeah. Instructions unclear. Burn out of my house. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's completely up to you. Uh, we, if anything happens, if you get possessed, that is not a responsibility, but it's <laughs> it's something you can do. <clears throat> Thanks. Seances have been happening in different ways for thousands of years, essentially since man became aware of the possibility of an afterlife. Originally, it was done with stones or smoke from sacred herbs, but as man evolved, so did the practice of divination. It grew to involve things like spirit boards, which grew into Ouija boards, playing cards, and eventually tarot cards. Fun fact, playing cards predate tarot cards uh, by quite a lot. You ever notice that there are four suits and four seasons? 12 cards per suit, 12 months in a year. 52, 52 cards in a deck, 52 weeks in a year. And if you add all the values together, you'd get 365. Seances became extremely popular after the, after the Civil War, which I briefly touched on last week during the Abraham Lincoln segment, uh, mostly by three sisters named the Fox Sisters. They were the famous TV psychics of their time. They toured America with their demonstrations, and by the end of the century, seances were being performed all over the Western world. Upper-class families whose sons were off fighting would hire these psychics and mediums to conduct seances to contact their young soldiers who died and bring peace to the family. The trend didn't stop there. It continued well into the 1900s with notables like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sherlock Holmes, being a huge believer in the practice. So much so, he brought his close friend, Eric Weiss, or better known by the stage name, Harry Houdini, along to several seances Doyle would host or attend. Houdini's mind was blown, and not in a good way either. He noticed a lot of the psychics or mediums were essentially using well-known magic techniques to pull off their spiritual feats. He would openly challenge these mediums to no-hold-barred wizard battles on Broadway. He would then try to replicate any spiritual effect by means of magic. This segment is actually dedicated to Houdini. He passed away on October 31st of 1926. So, now that we know a little bit of the history, what is a seance? Well, Seances were generally done in a sitting room or a parlor of a family home. A family would hire a medium and invite a few close friends and associates over for drinks. As the night went on, the medium would arrive. They'd all gather around a table, join hands, and the medium would use different techniques to communicate with, quote, 
the realms beyond. There were as many ways to do this as there were mediums, but a few techniques were widely used, one of which was automatic writing. The medium would go into a trance, loosely hold a pen in their hand, which sat on a piece of paper, a practice which Houdini fought to disprove. Now, if you've got a piece of paper and a pen, you can try this while you listen, but there are a few rules to sitting in a seance. First, keep your feet flat on the floor. Please remain seated throughout the seance. Third, darkness is required. This applies to sitting in at a seance or following along at home. Please, no phones, vapes, or lights of any kind. Number four, when asked to join hands, do so immediately. Number five, for your own safety, if you are fortunate enough to encounter an entity, do not break the circle or release your hands. Six, if you weren't comfortable communing with the beyond, that's perfectly okay. They would ask you to sit outside or, or wait until the seance is complete. In our case, you just can just skip ahead. <laughs> now, if you want to try this, I'm going to walk you through a quick little exercise to help you get started. So, please sit comfortably with both feet on the floor. Place your hands on your lap. Take a deep breath in and let it out. One more deep breath in. Hold it and let it out. Now, lightly hold the pen or pencil in your hand and let your hand sit on the piece of paper. Now close your eyes and allow your hand to draw circles. Don't focus on your hand, just let it keep going. You might notice the circle changing directions and that's okay, allow it to. Let your hand continue to move until you feel it is the right time to stop. It could be a few seconds, it might be a few minutes, or this entire segment, and that's okay. Just keep going. I'll be back with you in just a few minutes. To begin the seance, the medium would open with some sort of creepy verse like Longfellow's Haunted Houses. Imagine sitting in a dark room with hands being held and the medium saying aloud, All houses wherein men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors, the harmless phantoms on their errands glide with feet that make no sound upon the floors. We meet them at the doorway, on the stair, along the passages they come and go. There are more guests at the table than the hosts invited. Join us, spirits. The medium would have things like bells, tambourines, and sometimes a large bowl full of water sitting on the table. On command, a spirit would ring the bell, shake the tambourine, or perhaps a sitter might feel a wet hand graze the back of their necks. The medium would then begin automatic writing, asking questions from the group to the spirit, scribbling nonsense. When they would pass it to a member of the group, the answers to the questions would appear in the scribbles. Once the spirits are ready to talk, the medium would take out a Ouija board. Milton Bradley made a fortune during this time. <laughs> The guests would lightly place their fingers on the planchette, the little triangle thingy, as it seemingly glided around the board, spelling out answers to questions directly. The group would then hold hands again. The medium would take a bowl of water and stare into it like a crystal ball. They would then begin to describe the spirits they were seeing in the reflection. And more often than not, the descriptions matched the loved ones who the sitters were trying to reach. Oftentimes, the medium would allow themselves to be possessed by the spirits and would begin speaking in strange voices, knowing things they couldn't possibly know. When the medium would take back control of the body, upon the exit of the spirit, they would vomit this weird ectoplasm. The spirits would then begin to get restless, banging on walls, shaking the table. That meant that the medium needed to end the seance before it became too dangerous. If you're still writing, you can stop now if you feel it's time. 
Just close your eyes, take a deep breath in, and release it. Keep your eyes closed, place your pen or pencil down. One more deep breath in, and release it. If your eyes are closed, you can open them now. Don't look at your paper just yet. We'll talk about that in a moment. In honor of Houdini, I like to switch back to him for just a second. See, Houdini wasn't buying any of this. After a few seances, he devised a plan. He would give money to his crew to buy tickets for a seance. He would then disguise himself and attend. So the medium was essentially completely surrounded by magicians with a plan to bust them. He would wait until the lights were off and give the code word to his accomplices. They would run over, flip the lights on, and flip the table to find the medium had assistance hiding of their own. Houdini spent years battling and busting them until October 22, 1926. Part of Houdini's act was being able to take a punch to the chest by anyone. On this particular day, Houdini was laying in his dressing room when a group of fans came in to meet him. As he was getting up, a man named Jay Gordon Whitehead asked, Hey, I hear you can take a punch. When Houdini said the rumors were true, Whitehead abruptly delivered four, quote, four or five terribly forcible, deliberate, well-directed blows to his stomach. Houdini was still reclined on the couch and had no time to prepare for the punches, which appeared to leave him in considerable pain. Houdini brushed off the incident at the time, but his condition only worsened the next day when he boarded an overnight train to Detroit for a new run of performances. He proceeded to struggle through his routine before collapsing immediately after the final curtain. The show would be Houdini's last. Doctors successfully removed his appendix, which was found to have ruptured several days earlier, but had already poisoned his insides. The magician clung to life until October 31st, when he died with his wife Bess and his two brothers by his side. Could Houdini's battle with mediums have gotten him killed? Well, in their 2006 biography, The Secret Life of Houdini, authors William Kalush and Larry Sloman contend that the magician's death may have been carefully planned assassination by members of the spiritualist community. Quote, if one were to suspect Houdini a victim of foul play, they write, then the section of organized crime that was composed of fraudulent spirit mediums must be considered likely suspects. Interestingly, Houdini and his wife Bess made a vow that whoever died first would try to reach out from beyond the grave. The pair created a secret code, and this is a, a bit of a magic secret I'm about to reveal, but the code was, Rosabelle, answer, tell, pray, answer. Look, tell, answer, answer, tell, which doesn't really mean anything. But what it was was a secret code they used on stage, which spelled out the word believe. Although a skeptic, Houdini did believe in the mediums after all. Perhaps that was why he challenged them. He wanted to get rid of the fakes and find someone who was real. Did you follow along with the automatic writing? Let's take a look at your paper. Was anything written in the scribbles? Did you have any weird experiences or strange happenings or noises during the segment? Let us know. And remember, although it's really easy to be a skeptic, Houdini himself still found a way to believe. That is my segment on seances. That was awesome. That was really cool. Yeah, it's uh, what's crazy is when we think about all that, we think it's just so long ago because all the, the photos of like Houdini and these weird seances, which we'll post to social media, were uh, all black and white and old timey. Mm. but Really, it was, it wasn't even a hundred years ago when Houdini died. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it was happening then it was happening now. And it kind of goes back to our banter with the Beardley's question about how, um, do people with superpowers exist? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would label a psychic, you know, somebody with a superpower. 
Yeah. So do they exist? I, I don't know. I think so. I think there's, you know, intuition. And I think people are born with certain gifts to help other people. And I also think there's a lot of people who take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And I think For that's, sure. yeah, that's where you get your TV psychics, your Long Island mediums, your John mm-hmm. Edwards, Sylvia Browns, and, and all those kinds of people. Yeah, definitely. I also think it's crazy that my topic talked about psychics and mediums. Well, I had a little bit about it, um, about the transitions and seasonal stuff, how the psychology, they're looking into like the transitions, making psychics and mediums more powerful. And then you do the whole thing on seance is talking about psychics and mediums. Yeah, which ties in perfectly with Halloween. Yeah, it's like it was synchronicity or synchronicity. something. Synchronicity. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was awesome. That's I hope people did follow along and do the, the automatic writing. I'd be really curious to hear if anyone did that and if they saw anything in like the scribbles or if anything notated or something happened. Um, yeah, if you felt anything in the room while I was going over that or while you were following along with the, the automatic writing. Yeah, please let us know. I know once this episode comes out, I'm going to go back and listen to it and do the exercise and see if I can come up with something. <laughs> so, yeah, man, awesome job tonight on everything. If somebody wanted to reach out to let us know that they did follow with the automatic writing or had an idea for banter with the Beardsleys or perhaps even a segment, where could they contact us? They can contact us on any of our social medias, which is Instagram is Bearded Things Pod. Uh, Facebook is Facebook.com slash Bearded Things. Twitter <laughs> is at bearded things and youtube is at bearded things pod we also just started a facebook group for those of you that are on the facebook um it is called the bearded things bearded friends group so if you want to come have a conversation with us uh it'd be kind of cool to have a community get together and you guys can talk about episodes we can brainstorm ideas for future episodes so if you want to do that find us on facebook i believe it's set to a private group right now because we don't want the crazies to enter our group but either Chris or myself will make sure we approve your invite or your request to join. We'll do that pretty quickly and let's have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll be announcing something in there very soon. So I would go in there and check it out. Yeah, please do. There's a lot of, we have some interesting stuff coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And uh, this concludes our show for Halloween week. Have a happy and safe Halloween, whatever it is that you choose to do. (laughs) Send us some of your pictures. We'd love to see what you're doing this Halloween because this year is very different. Yeah, it's probably the most unique Halloween we've had in In our lifetimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely our lifetimes. So, yeah. Uh, Thank you so much. Happy Halloween. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye.